Go ahead, if you will, turn in your Bibles to Judges chapter 4. We are going to look at Judges 4 and 5 today. If you would, just bow with me. Father, we are grateful for your word. We ask that you would make us hungry. Lord, we ask that it would be a spirit-empowered hunger to understand, to believe, to treasure, to love. We know, Lord, that we can't muster that up on our own. We can't make ourselves hungry for you. We ask that we would be, as the psalmist said, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul pants for you. We pray for that this morning, that our spiritual senses would not be dulled by the age that we live in, by the futile pursuits of this age. We ask that you would cause us to return, to to yearn. In Jesus' name, amen. So we are in Judges, and I remember, if you have studied along with us, that it is a very dark time in the life of Israel, if you were to go back and look at it. And in some ways, it's like having a leaderless nation. Uh, the judges rise up on occasion, uh, but it's kind of inconsistent and often regional. And so when you're looking at this, you just kind of have to understand that when you're, under, when you're trying to work through the judges, this is not... Uh, the best of situations. And so uh, we need to understand that and see that. Now, we said that the judges are primarily uh, saviors. So in a way, it's um, important, I think, for us to see it because sometimes like when we think of judge, a judge, a current judge in our climate, we would say, oh, no, they just deal with internal matters. And as we said, no, it also deals with external matters, especially with these judges typically. This morning, though, we're looking at a woman judge. Her name is, uh, we, we see her on display here, and, and her name is Deborah, and she is going to really deal with internal matters and then also do uh, some other things. Uh, she is actually a prophetess, which has the idea that she is hearing from the Lord and then speaking to the people what the Lord says. And so she is going to speak to a military leader and say, get up and get to work. And so I, I think it's important too to say, Ryan, and Ryan mentioned this last week, we kind of, in the judges, you're expecting the unexpected to take place in judges. Uh, there are very unique things that are going on, and we see that as we work through uh, this, this book. Now, what this does is, I think at one part, you say, this encourages us that God is not just interested in using kind of the rising stars of the culture. Uh, it's, it's a little bit like uh, he, he uses... Uh, the unexpected people, people that you're like, oh, not many are wise, as the New Testament says, not many are noble or whatever. It's not always what you think. God loves to do things in a unique way to kind of shock us with how he does it. But there's another side to it. It's a little bit of an indictment. Because the people that you think should be doing these things are not doing them. 
I was thinking a, a number of years ago, Anna and I were talking about this, like that when she would, um, was in a kind of a, a college group that did a lot of disciple making, uh, some of the people went after the rising star because their, their idea was if they pr- pursued them, then ultimately what would happen is a bunch of people would follow so they'd have a greater impact. Uh, the problem with that is, that mentality is, is that God just doesn't work like that a lot of times, you know. And so it, that's, that's comforting to us. It's helpful for us. It allows us to see that. And, and I just think we have to say this morning, I mean, we, we have to ask ourselves, though, wherever you are with whatever gifting God has given you, and you say, well, he hadn't given me any gifts. Well, that's a lie. If you're a Christian, you've been given gifts. Whatever those are, we are to employ them uh, those gifts in serving him for his own glory. Um, and everybody has a variety of gifts and and sometimes like with our gifts, this just a reality in all of our lives. Uh, maybe we lose focus with them. Maybe we become tired and don't want to employ them. Maybe we're lazy. Maybe we're scared to use them. It's going to cost us something and have to build relationships. We don't want to build. We fear getting hurt. There's just a lot of different reasons why we don't want to do the different things that maybe you could say that God wants us to do. And that's kind of, in, in, in all of it, like I said, it's not like anybody escapes that. I feel that, you feel that, all of us feel that. And like I said, sometimes you just want to sit on the couch. Sometimes you're afraid, you know, getting hurt or of, of putting yourself out there. Uh, sometimes uh, there's just a variety of things that would take it. Sometimes, again, you just lose focus. There's just all different types of things that go on. But ultimately, I think we, we actually, this, this text should help us move us towards getting back on track. Um, I, 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 one of the things I've noticed, too, just over the years is we need, and, and I think the Scripture teaches this, but we need Spirit-driven people in our lives to get us off of high center. When I say spirit driven, I mean like there are people that I feel like are walking in the ways of God that really are, and they are running hard after the things of God. And so you kind of, sometimes when you're kind of limping along or slacking off a little bit, you know, it's like being around those people push you. And, and really that's what the church is to do. There's this variety of gifts. There's this body functioning together. And when one part of it is kind of wimping out, if you will, it's kind of driving you to move ahead, right? And so some people might say, well, what I'm going to do is kind of get away and sit on the sidelines and not, and it's like everything in you, if, if you start getting around people that are walking with the Lord, they're kind of pushing you forward. First Peter says, as each has received a, a, a gift, Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Whoever speaks is the one who speaks the oracles of God. Whoever serves uh, as the one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Generally, when I would have taught this in the past, you know what I would talk about? Individuals. Are you using your gift? Which is important to ask, Right? But I would focus so much on the individual that I would take away from the corporate nature of this where we are really um, endowed by the Spirit to serve one another. 
you, you might say, are we corporately using our gifts together to build up the body? It's important that we, we understand that because the gifting, the speaking, and the, the hands that, that, we're, you know, that we're using, there's something about it that we're doing this together. But it is important to ask as an individual, if God has gifted me in teaching and sharing uh, His Word, it, it, has my mouth been silent? And how long? How long has it been quiet? Well, I'm older. How long? Well, they don't do it like I want to do it, really, okay? So you're selfish, okay? Let's move past that. Do it the way they're doing it. I mean, just get involved, right? Your mouth is not to be quiet if God's gifted you in teaching. And that, you might say, well, I don't have a position. You're like, okay. So call somebody and have coffee with them and say, this is what I've been learning in the Word. Is that hard? Invite somebody, I mean, even like maybe some friends that maybe are not believers that you could share. Like, stop making excuses. They're really weak. I tear them apart. No. But anyway, then the other thing is, so if your mouth is closed, you're in the wrong. And if you're really hands-oriented, God's gifted you with, like, the ability to do things and serve in a certain way, and you just know them, you can just see that in your life, you're just oriented that way, because the Spirit of God has certainly worked in you and drawing you to that kind of deal, and your hands are not dirty. And your hands are not dirty. You're walking disobedience. That, that's just a reality. Your hands are not dirty, and they were meant to get dirty to the glory of God. You're walking in disobedience. That good enough? So you can come up with excuses or you can just be honest. The reality is, is that if you've been gifted, you should be serving. They're not trophies that God gives us. They're like to be employed, they're tools, right? And you say like, dude, are you going to teach on judges? Come on, man. Well, we'll get there. You ready? First Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 2 through 5, Paul prays and he thanks God for the church's work of faith, labor of love, and steadfastness of hope. You see the active nature of that. Then he goes on and he says, For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. Because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. And you knew what kind of men we proved to be. So there's something of these who brought the gospel to them. It, they, they modeled that. They, they demonstrated that. And that's something that is an indictment on, on those in leadership. We have to constantly examine ourselves in that way. Are we leading in that way? Are we spirit-directed ourselves? Now... You say, why are you spending so much time introducing this? It's because I think when we get to Judges 4 and 5, we have to say, look, we've seen the cycle. Are we just repeating the cycle over and over, Jared, for the next several weeks? No, we're looking at different glimpses of it and some of the problems that are taking place. So, real quick, for you, if you're new and maybe this is the first Sunday you've been here and we've been studying Judges, there's kind of a seven-step cycle Ryan talked about it. I think I talked about it the first week. Ryan talked about it uh, again this last week. Israel does what is evil in the sight of the Lord. The Lord gives the Israelites in the hands of the enemy. 
That's number two. The second one, the third one, Israel cries out to God. Fourth, the Lord raises up a deliverer. Fifth, the oppressing nation is overcome. Six, there is peace in the land. And seven, the deliverer or ruler dies. And then the cycle starts over. And in reality, you can look at your life, look at the church, whatever, and you can watch these cycles that are taking place and that we go through and we struggle with. So this morning, we'll look at Judges 4 and 5. We're going to remember the cycle and then come back and look at all of these pieces and really think about what does it mean to be employing the, the, the gifts that God has given, courageously moving forward. And so that's kind of what we'll think about. Now, chapter 4 is like a historian writing writing what's going on, and chapter 5 is like a poet writing it. It's a song, right? And, and that's just important. I mean, that's important for us because, uh, you know, that, that's interesting, the way in which someone communicates something to us. Uh, some people read their Bibles, and you know how they want to read it? They're a little... Somebody will um, read the Bible, and they'll want to read it all of the same way. But in reality, we see things differently because of the particular genre it's in. And we'll, we'll kind of look at that and think about that just for a moment. So let's get started. You ready? Judges chapter 4. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Okay? So you see the start, that trend. Israel does what is evil in the sight of the Lord. We were introduced to the cycle in chapter 2, and now we're repeating that. Now, what does that mean to do evil in the sight of the Lord? Real quick with me. Think, 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 think. Real quick. It always seems to center on, especially in this section, as you're thinking about in the Judges and really throughout the Old Testament, it, it, it focuses in on gods, serving other gods. That, that's the emphasis. It is relying on trusting in finding pleasure in success in comfort in acceptance in other things other than god it is creating these false gods and like i said you can move the little idol aside and say what's the heart what are they longing for what are they wanting to find comfort in and you can get to that place where you say okay i see how now what is being promised in the culture that they find themselves in they're gravitating towards it to answer the question Notice what happens here. They are sold. Again, the slave market imagery language here. These gods they worship did not deliver but enslaved. Have you ever thought, man, I think I'm bankrupt, but not in a financial sense? Like you're bankrupt spiritually. Have you ever felt that? The bankruptcy that's kind of taking place? These gods are thieves and robbers, spiritually speaking. They are figments of people's imagination that leave them destitute, alone, hopeless, and empty. That's, the kind of, that's what they do. When you believe in something that's false, when you're trusting in something that's false, what do you do? What happens there? What happens is, is you put all your hope in something that will not stand. You're putting it on sand. So when the storms come, guess what happens? You get swept away. That's what they're doing. That's what serving other gods do. They will not. They promise acceptance and love and care and being in control and all these things. But they cannot produce that. And so once you get them, and that's what happens as a young man or young woman or whatever. 
you, you kind of like, they say, go to college, do this, do that. And they tell you all these things to do. So you attain all that. Then you look up one day and you've got it all obtained and you, you've, you've attained it. You have it all there and you go, hold on just a second. I still feel empty. Why is that? Well, I need more. No. What it is, is, is those things that have promised like peace and joy and satisfaction and acceptance. All, all those things, you got them and you realize that they're like turning into powder and like falling away. Just running through your hands. So, Israel gets what they want and they find out what they wanted was a mirage. They ran up to the mirage and they get there to drink the water. It's not there. And so, they pick themselves up, likely, and run to the next one and they get down there to drink the water and they're running their hands through sand. But eventually, it becomes so horrific in their life that they cry out to the Lord. Then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help, for he had 900 chariots of iron, and he oppressed the people of Israel cruelly for 20 years. Now, this is interesting. This is not getting out of bondage is no easy thing. Like, And that's... You, you're. Y'all understand that? Like getting out of that well, if you will, that you've climbed down into is no easy thing. It's not really, it's impossible with man. That, that's really what he's saying. It's one of those things that you're now in bondage, actually sold into this slavery, and there are chains holding you from getting out. 900 chariots of iron. That's frightening. It's almost like he has the smart bombs and drones and all the latest, greatest stuff of the time. So the one that's promised you peace and comfort and joy and happiness, you run and run and run, and then you get there and you find out that it's a prison. Well, then you want to get out of the prison and there's no way out. Because it's like the greatest prison in the world. It's kind of picture. So, we go to 4th of July, my cousin's house. There is his, he's got a neighbor that owns kind of a fairly large business. And um, he, every year he puts on a, a fireworks show for the people that work for him. And it's like 40 minutes. I mean, it would rival Sparks in the Park. You know, it's a huge, just crazy light work uh, uh, firework show well this year another neighbor flies a drone over my cousin's house to go over to the firework show ben looks up and is like oh my goodness what is taking place it's going over it goes over to the firework show will says it gets hit by fireworks but continues ben tells us later that lasers were coming out of it i guess to fight off the fireworks that were coming at them he says, it's a robot flying in the sky, right? Then he said, no, it's the bad Iron Man. I mean, Doc, I'm telling you, that's what it is. So it would go back, get a new battery, and shoot back out, and he'd be like, there he goes again. Finally, he says, one time it flies by, and he's like, get a gun and shoot it down. I want to see it. That's what he's talking about. He's bad to the bone, right? Like, that's what he was thinking. Well, anyway, I say that because... 
that's the situation where you're looking at everything going on and you're saying this is not some small thing that has now chained us up, but something that has all of the greatest technology and all the power and we have no hope of getting loose. Verse 4. So the people have cried out. The Lord raises up a deliverer. Now Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lepidoth, I guess is how you say that, was judging Israel at the time. And she would make these judgments as the people came to them. And this reminds you, remember when they went into the the wilderness, uh, Moses was like doing this. The people would come and say, he took my you know, donkey. And he's like, I didn't take his donkey. And then he makes a decision about or whatever. Well, Moses had all these people coming and his father-in-law said, look, you need a bunch of judges to kind of make these kinds of decisions, people that know the law. And that's what uh, she is doing at this point. She's actually doing the things within the things that we would normally see a judge do. Uh, but also she's a prophetess, which means again, she hears from the Lord and speaks forth truth to the people. Uh, she, she will uh, really speak on behalf of God. She is a messenger of God uh, for the people. And so you might think some of this is odd because you do kind of look back and see the judges or the prophets and you generally would see them as men. And that, that is a reality. And there are some things about judges that sometimes makes you think uh, things are backwards. The, the, the people that should be leading are not because they're not kind of stepping up. And there is some element of that. Uh, but also, there are other prophetesses in the Scripture. Actually, Jesus was taken to one. If you remember, when we look at his life, that, that was a reality. There was a woman that was serving in the temple, and she was a prophetess, and she was speaking, this is the one, this is the one. And so, uh, it's, it's a reminder of that. Now, what she does is, she's going to speak to Barak, and this, this military leader within Israel, I assume, and uh, that, that maybe is kind of silently that, and she's going to tell him, you gather together an army and you go to fight. And you would think, naturally, Barak would be like, I'm ready to go, right? I've been waiting for this time. But in reality, it seems like God had maybe been telling him to do it, and he doesn't want to do it. Now notice what happens in verse 8. Barak said to her, if you will go with me. I mean, she's not his mom. You know, he's not five, right? If you'll go with me, I'll go. She's not a warrior. But, but it is kind of, I think it's, there's a sign of this. It's like, and if you'll not go, I'm not going. There's this kind of picture where you're saying, where's the courage? I mean, this is a, a military guy. What is he doing? Again, in Judges a lot, you're like, man, what is the problem? And the problem is, is that the people that should be doing this, these things are not doing them. And so she says, listen, I'll go with you, but know this, you will not receive the glory of, of this triumph. You, you just will not. The great general is going to be delivered over to a woman. And you might think, oh, at the end, you know, it's like Deborah's going to show up with a bow and arrow, fire it off, and Sisera, boom, he done. You know, like that, you might like, but it's not going to be that. It's actually going to be, and when I say worse, it's just going to be a lot more like, are you serious? Is this how this ends? And so that is something that you're seeing as it takes place. The fifth step here, the oppressing nation is overcome. We see that Deborah says to Barak, after they set everything up for war, she says, up for this day, the Lord has given Sisera into your hand. Does not the Lord go out before you? 
And so he went out. God routes the army. And you're starting them, watching this, uh, them overcome. This, the, again, it's, it's like the most powerful, at least in that region, that area, this insanely powerful group of people have imprisoned them. And now you're like, people that are really not prepared for war are going to have victory. And you're like, how is this going to happen? And the way it's going to happen is because God is going to work on their side. He's not against them. He's for them. He's standing with them. That's the only thing that really makes the change. Now, Sisera, this mighty general, gets to a point where he, like, says, this is going really bad. We're being defeated. I'm going to take off by foot. And so he starts running, and he's taking off, and he's doing his best to get out of there, right? And as he does, he, fl- he, he, he runs away. In verse 17, he came to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite. Now, what happens is he gets there, and they're kind of in, they're, they're at peace with one another. And so he thinks, I have an open door. And there's a tent there. And if this woman will help me, I can hide out and maybe I'll survive. And, and potentially even thinking I could gather some other army and be prepared. Evidently, he had ran for some you know, long period of time. He is exhausted. And so he gets there. He asks for water. Uh, she takes him. She covers him up. She asks for water. He bring, uh, she brings him milk. Now, how many of you bring, drink milk at night before you go to bed? Anybody? Okay. I used to have a friend, and we were like junior high or something, and he was like, I always drink warm milk before I go to bed. It helps me go to sleep. And I was like, that's weird. But it, do you all think that's a little, that's a little, yeah. But anyway, maybe that's normal. I mean, I, in some households, you know, you warm your milk up, you drink it, and you're like, oh, I'm so happy. You look at your little teddy bear, and you go to sleep, even in your 20s. That may be possible. But... I'm not sure that that's that normal, but here's the thing. The other night, Anna was out partying until 8.30 p.m., right? And uh, I'm I'm over there going, where is she, you know, like calling her? No, but she, Samuel was uh, crying in his bed when she got there. He went down at 8 o'clock, and now it is 8.30. He's still in there crying. I went in there one time to check and see if, like, he needed a diaper change. That didn't really fix it because he didn't need one. And so I'm laying there almost asleep myself, trying to wait up for my wife who's been out playing. And um, I was like, uh, I, I wake up and she's like, where is he? Why is he crying? I was like, I don't know, you know, who knows? You know, so she goes in there and she tries to think about it or whatever. And then she says, did you feed him his milk? And I was like, that's the only detail I forgot in this whole situation. Because for some reason it helps him go to sleep. And I think that's what she does. She's like taking care of this guy at this great level. And you think... Well, good night. What's going to happen here? Well, as you move forward, you realize in her mind she is going to set the stage to execute this man. I mean, this is not a warrior. This is not even a Jewish person. Did you know that? She goes in. She does not have a sword. She takes a tent, tent hammer, I guess you say, and a nail... And she drives it through his temple as he sleeps. One of the most powerful commanding officers in the whole world. In their world, let's say. He had probably risen to the top because of his extreme courage and ability to fight. He is laying there after 
drinking his warm milk, asleep, and she drives a nail through his temple. Courage. It's shocking. Like I said, she's not an Israelite, number one. She is a woman, not trained in the art of war, number two. She is not like a CIA agent that they sent in. She's not. She goes in. She courageously pursues uh, what, what Israel should have pursued many, uh, I guess you could say, many years before. And then there's a song. To remind you of Exodus 14 and 15, Exodus 14, if you remember, uh, there's this great victory, Exodus 15, they come together and sing. Praises to God for what he's done. As you look at Judges 5, as I said, you kind of there's different things you read here. One is more like a history kind of lesson. Uh, it tells the story, and the other one is a song kind of written about the story. But I want you to note a few things. Verse 2, the leaders took the lead in Israel that the people offered themselves willingly, bless the Lord. It's one, another one of those things, an indictment on the times, a leaderless people. Or a people that really, you know, it's almost like, again, it's kind of setting the, stages, the stage for the king. It's also kind of reminding you they'd rejected the Lord as their king. But now we're just seeing here when, when the people that, that like, like Deborah and Barak, which even though he was kind of weak-hearted, when he rose up, like the people came alongside. Verses 3 through 9. You notice in those days there, there was a lawlessness in those days. But again, the commanders stepped up and offered themselves willingly, and the Lord brought victory. Again, they, they stepped forward by faith. It was not that they were that strong. It was that they were trusting God. Again, it's not like when they stepped up, it was that they in their own strength did it. It's just that they were putting their faith in the Lord. Keep going, verses 10 through 23. You'll notice a rebuke here. Some of the tribes sat down and did not move. They would not go. They had probably sat around the dinner table. And sometimes the people that are the biggest mouths are the most worthless when it comes to going to war. Do you know that? They're big talkers. They love to sit around a dinner table and solve the world's problems. But when it's time for you to put feet to moving forward, they are nowhere to be found. They're still sitting over there talking a big game and doing nothing. Well, I don't have time to do that. I just can't, I can't do that. I, you know, that takes, you know, that's, that's going to that's cost or it's hard for me, you know, whatever. They are courageous sitting on the sidelines. Some of them are not moving forward. Honestly, sometimes you'll see this again, like in the. Com- kind of that realm of the people that are sitting still, they are the most difficult to deal with because they are thinking about how they might be served rather than serve. But Jael here, a woman, not a Jew, demonstrates courage You'll notice in verse 26, she sent her hand 
to the tent peg and her right hand to the workman's mallet. She struck Sisera. She crushed his head. She shattered and pierced his temple. Between her feet he sank. He fell. He lay still. Between her feet he sank. He fell. Where he sank, there he fell dead. Notice what happens in verse 31. There's peace in the land. So may all your enemies perish, O Lord, but your friends be like the sun as he rises in his might, and the land rested for 40 years. True peace, true security, true deliverance, true joy. The promises of the world had failed. But now as they repent and return to the Lord, His promise stands. They will enjoy Him, experience joy with Him forevermore. So I think for the church, we say we must lead out in overthrowing those things that we are in bondage to. We must be willing to get in the fight. We must not sit by idle. We must take steps towards slaying the giants in this world that seem to overcome. We must believe that the victory is ours when we are on the side of the Lord. Spurgeon explained it this way. He wanted to paint a picture. He said, first I shall picture to you the sinner growing uneasy in his bondage and thinking about rebellion against his oppressors. Secondly, the sinner putting to rout his sins and seeking their entire destruction. Third, I shall seek to bring to you that noble picture of the open door, and I shall stand at it and cry to those who are seeking the life of their sins, Come hither, and I will show you the man whom you seek. Here he lies dead, slain by the hammer and the nail, held not in the hand of a woman, but in the hand of the seed of the woman, the man Christ Jesus. We need to understand that our bondage is more of a figment of our imagination rather than a reality. Victory has been attained. We must walk in it. The great enemy of our soul has been defeated. We have to get a true picture in our minds so that we will move forward by faith, trusting that what Jesus did for us is true. Romans 6, 11, Paul says, consider yourselves to be dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. What does he mean? Occupy your mind with this reality. You are dead to sin and alive to God in Christ. Therefore, let not sin reign in your body that you obey its passions. Do not present your members as uh, instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members as instruments of righteousness to God, for sin has no more dominion over you. So what do you do with Judges 4 and 5? You say, get in the battle. Stop making excuses. Don't sit on the couch. Stop sitting around the dinner table and talking. You get to work. For those whose mouths are to be used by God in the, the context of building up the body, or those whose hands, your mouth should be open. If it's your hands, they should be dirty. If you want to sit on the sidelines and do that, I'll tell you something. You will live in bondage and you will stay there and it is a horrific place. 
but you put your faith in God, you repent of your disobedient heart, you trust in the victory won by Christ, and you move forward by faith. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We ask that you would challenge our hearts, challenge my heart, that we would strive toward the things that would bring glory and honor to your name, that we would trust in the victory that you provided, that we would walk by faith, that we would follow this, this path of this woman who against all odds slayed the great Sisera. We thank you that Jesus comes alongside us and he opens the tent of the door and he says, he's dead, but I'm alive forevermore. Come and follow me. In Christ's name, amen. If you would stand with me at this time.